Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Publish This Over Lunch with Woodhall Press. I'm David Legere speaking with uh, Gregory L. Norris. Uh, Greg has been raised on a healthy diet of creature double features and classic science fiction TV. He writes for national magazines, short story anthologies, novels, and the occasional episode for film and television. Uh, Greg writes uh, the Day After Tomorrow series for Anderson Entertainment in the UK based on the Jerry Anderson NBC made-for-TV movie, which he watched and loved as a boy, and worked on Paramount's Star Trek Voyager series as a screenwriter. Super exciting. Uh, Norris lives at the outer limits of New Hampshire's North Country and a century-old house called Xandu with his giant rescue cat and emerald-eyed muse. Emerald-eyed muse. I feel like I say that. <laughs> and for information, uh, for more information, check out GregoryNorris.com. That's G-R-E-G. O-R-Y-N-O-R-R-I-S dot com. Greg, thank you for being here today. Well, always a pleasure and thank you for having me. It's always so fantastic to talk the writing life. It is. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the, the highlights uh, of, the, of the week when I get to do these published, this episodes, uh, it's just being able to chat with, with other writers and see what's going on in your mind, see what makes you tick. Uh, well, so I, I, belong to, <laughs> I belong to two writers groups, and I set my clock around those meetings. I mean, the week revolves around Tuesday and uh, Wednesday night writers group. You know, I'm, I'm actually uh, a little jealous because at the moment, I don't have a writers group. Uh, our writers group became Woodhall Press. So, like, as of the moment, I am the lone, the lone writer. <laughs> oh, well, that's very cool, and you're always welcome to join our groups. Well, thank you. I, I might take you up on that sometime. Um, so I, I, staying on the topic of writing, I want to know what's going on in your writing world. You know, what's publishing, what's in the pipeline. I want to hear, you know, from you, what's exciting at the moment? Everything you got going on. Oh, very cool. Well, within the last week, um, a, a bunch of really fantastic, you know, uh, literary themed adventures have unfolded. Uh, I finished a novel on Saturday morning that I'm tremendously proud of, really happy with, called The Lost City of Books. In the last week, I've sold two short stories. I sold um, a really spooky modern gothic to the anthology The Lost Librarian's Grave, and that's coming out in October. And last Wednesday, I sold a murder mystery to Mystery Weekly magazine, which is, you know, one of those industry, everybody knows that magazine. It's a, a pretty good credit to have. So I'm fairly happy about that. Um, then our, our wonderful publicist, Ben Tanzer, gave us all the mm -hmm. great news that my forthcoming novel, X Marks the Spot, is going to be reviewed by Publishers Weekly, which they may love it, they may hate it, I don't care. What a great, fantastic, <laughs> wonderful bit of news just to get, you know, whether it's a love letter or it ends up being something, you know, you know notoriety, who cares? It's just a great <laughs> thing to say, my novel is being reviewed by Publishers Weekly. And then, um, you know, in addition to the 9 million things that I'm always working on, I decided to give myself a break and to write just for fun this week. I'm working on a novella based on the, the TV series Space 1999, which is my absolute favorite, another Jerry Anderson production. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've woken up every day and I've traveled to Moonbase Alpha with lifelong friends and just had the time of my life. So that's what I'm currently working on. Um, by the weekend, when that novella is done, um, you know, there's already a stack of 
responsibilities, barking like Yorkshire Terriers, ready to latch onto my ankles, demanding my attention, and I will happily give them all of that attention. <laughs> well, you know, I think um, you are one of the most active writers I think I know. I mean, you are well, thank constantly you. writing and producing. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Every day. I, people say, you take, do you take a day off? Do you take a break? I'm like, I don't need to take a break. I love what I do. It's, it's, I know it's work. It doesn't feel like work. It, it feels like a gift and um, an adventure. And, you know, when, when some people were climbing the walls during shelter at home, I turned shelter at home into writer in residence. And I just, every day, got to go wherever I wanted in the universe. One day, you know, I was in Antarctica. One day, I was in the asteroid belt. You know, a day after that, Germany. You know, I could wow. go anywhere I wanted. I solved murder mysteries. I fell in love. I traveled the cosmos. It was fantastic. You know, that level of uh, imagination, I think, is, is so important, especially during something like a pandemic. So, is your process for writing, do you, like, is it every morning you just start the day and you block off this time? Or like, what's your process like for writing? Well, it starts really the night before. I, I do sort of, and I have now for decades, I do um, a little dream exercise where, you know, as I'm falling asleep, you know, and decompressing, you know, I think, all right, so what is the next morning's adventure? And I think about what I'm going to write. And then, I go to sleep with that mindset and I wake up in the morning and the first thing out of my mind is what is the day's adventure? So, you know, I, I glide down the staircase, fix the coffee, feed the cat, and it's right into the writing. That's the first thing I do. And for instance, today, I got so into what I was working on that I forgot to eat breakfast. And at 11 o'clock, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm German. So there's always this like schedule in my head. I'm like, we're doing the interview at noontime today. That's, you know, that's, that's the big thing on the schedule, but I forgot to eat. And at 11 o'clock, I put the pen down and I thought, oh my God, I'm so hungry. I'm going to eat the next small child in the neighborhood I see. So, I mean, I went and I grabbed, you know, I wolfed down, you know, hummus and fresh cherries and another cup of coffee. And here I am. But I love it when, when the day gets so blurry from being somewhere in the writing that you really don't know, you know, what planet you're on, what day it is, and what time, and and I just I love that. I love that supernatural, transformative, mysterious property of being lost in the words, whether they're the words you're writing or the words you're reading in a book. I love that. That idea of getting lost is just uh, so appealing, right? The, especially these days. Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody. And I was saying, you know, reality is real enough because people were saying, why is fantasy taking off in such a heavy way? Why are, you know, all these uh, Netflix shows, fantasy based, sci-fi based, like why is it becoming such a, why are superheroes continuing? Uh, Marvel is just dominating. And I said, it's because people love an escape, right? It's escapism. Sure. It's this idea. Sorry, when I look over here, I, that's actually where our faces are because it's on the second monitor. So I'm not, not looking at you. I'm just like looking at you for real. So, uh, yeah. but it's this idea of escapism, I think. Like I love, 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 love science fiction and fantasy. It's my like go-to when I want to read to feel uh, good. You know, I just love it. I love falling into these things. And your oh. imagination 
um, takes us there in such a fun way. Well, you know, one of the things that I learned pretty early on in my career was that, you know, they're, they're always telling you to think outside the box. But if you don't believe in the box at the start, yeah. it can be incredibly freeing. And huh. the thing is, is, is by this magic wand, you yeah. know, and, you know, this spell book, you can do and go anywhere, anywhere. You can do anything. You can absolutely change the universe um, if you have the wherewithal to do it. That concept of, of being not even considering the box in the first place reminds me of advice my mom had given me actually years ago, which was uh, that uh, we never know our limits until we hit them, right? We, we, we create these artificial limits in our mind based on what? Movies, books, things that we'd seen, what somebody else told us. Oh, of course you can't do that because everybody knows you can't do that. But if you can remove the box, as you said, from the equation, that must be very liberating for people to just then suddenly say, you know what, I never thought I could do X, Y, and Z until I just did X, Y, and Z. It was a crazy idea until it wasn't, you know? Sure. Well, listen to mom. She knows what she's talking about. Yeah, <laughs> she does. She's a wise woman. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I want to know about uh, the, the title that's with Publishers Weekly being reviewed, right? X marks the spot. It's uh, publishing this fall. So I want to know, can't wait. Um, more about it. Like, tell us a little bit about X Marks the Spot for anybody listening. Why, why should everyone listening go out and pre-order this book immediately? Well, for, for the start, it is a, at its heart and soul, a love story. And who does not love a love story? Yeah. Um, I wrote the book last year in three weeks. I think it was 20 days from the time I put pen to page to the time I had the first draft. Um, and I lived it every single day. I, I, it became my world during that time. And the story is about uh, a man named Oliver who has for 10 years lived under this dark cloud of tragedy because the first love of his life died in a tragic car accident. And as that 10 year anniversary comes closer to, you know, to being marked in time, all of these very mysterious and strange events surround him and Oliver finds himself recreating on the exact day, time, um, the, the instances that, that killed the person he loved. And he wakes up 10 years in the past in that summer with the opportunity to undo the events that happened and remove that curse, that dark cloud. Unfortunately, by um, messing around with time, which we all know, never ends well he no. ends up setting in motion events that will end up dooming the second love of his life whom he he has married yeah. in the present and and ends up really creating worse tragedy as a result mm -hmm. and so that's that's the overriding you know the theme of the story is it's a love story and how far you would go to save the love of your life you know, as you're saying that, two things jump out. One is first the love story. It's uh, you know, I remember Da Chang uh, was one of my favorite mentors, uh, and he said that every story is a love story. And I don't think that's always true, but I do think so many of the greatest stories are love stories. And oh, so absolutely, right? It's just uh, so, so the love story. But then also, you do such this 
uh, you've woven in time travel and time travel. I would actually say time travel stories 10 years ago were a little harder a nut to crack, right? And then somewhere along the way, maybe it's because of everything going on in the world, but time travel, you're publishing this book at a time when time travel is, I don't, I hate to say in with these things, you know, like things traveling out, but it's very popular. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. even the Marvel shows, Loki, it's all based on the Marvel universe right now is being based on time travel. Sure. Uh, then you're seeing all of these like books, movies and everything. So why do you think people right now are so uh, consumed in some ways? I don't know if consumed is the right word, but just so interested in time travel. Well, uh, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I think back to, you know, my very humble origins with, you know, the TV shows and the movies that I absolutely to this day love. Yeah. Maybe even more than I did even when I was a kid. I appreciate them and they still resonate with me. There was this great ongoing storyline on, you know, Dan Curtis's dreamy gothic daytime soap, Dark Shadows. They were always zipping in and out of time. They were going back in time, coming forward in time. Um, They were going back and messing with time. And then things really got messed up. And, you know, it was a cautionary tale. And I think, you know, that's one of those, those obsessions and themes that's in the back of my mind. Now, I don't know, you know, I, I'm, I tend to not be trendy. I tend to not write with the trends. I tend to not, you know, because by the time you do, it's not a trend anymore. I just try to stick, yeah, with something that is is classic and enduring. And so, you know, I I think the appeal, and I can't speak for everyone, but I can only speak for myself, is that as we age and as we think we're progressing, I, I think in some ways we do progress, but there's this yearning for what was before. Yeah. And, you know, and it's maybe sometimes more than just nostalgia, that it's, it's an actual, um, mm. a need to be back in a time when we perceive things were happier. And, and yeah. I mean, I have to say, I, you know, I have everything I need in the future, in the present, mm-hmm. except that which I need most. And, you know, I'm pretty happy with my life, except for those things that I wish I could change. I wouldn't want to go back in time to my childhood, even though I had a really phenomenal childhood, because I'm really happy where I'm at now. But I can see the appeal of it. It's, it's if you go back in time to when you perceive it was a better time, that's colored by you know decades or however long. You also have to realize that everything isn't exactly as precise uh-huh. and wonderful as you perhaps think it is, yes. you know, and that, that there is something to be said for living in the moment, I you know. In psychology, I, I could be completely wrong, I'm going back to, to undergrad, uh, Pollyanna syndrome? Oh, uh, yeah, why not? Is that the term? Yeah, I think, I think absolutely. <laughs> right. know, I mean, I would love to go back in time to the, the little cottage where I grew up in the big woods where all of these ideas came from. But then I'd be, you know, back there in time thinking if I was conscious of now, I'd like, well, what about, you know, the 1,561 completed novels, screenplays, novellas, and short stories I've written, they wouldn't exist. Those are my babies. Those are, you know, that that's my life's work. Um, So there, there would be, as in my book, there is a price to pay for going back and changing what is established. Time is fluid. So there are ripples. 
Exactly. And in fact, the way you, you tackle time, even you don't do it necessarily. It's more of a spiritual way, even the way you tackle time, uh, time travel. But what's fascinating, too, is you're talking about something that I've been hearing, you know, we've all been hearing probably for the last year, and it's mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. There's this nostalgia factor, the way we look for time and remembering things in the past. The 90s apparently are a thing again. Right. Like everybody's like the 90s. Um, why? Because in some way we try to like we go back to those memories. And uh, I was listening to uh, Peter Diamandis uh, on a podcast. Very, very good. And he was talking about how, well, are you looking 30 years out from now and saying, I can't wait to see what's coming? Or are you looking 30 years out from now and saying, wow, the world's just going to be awful? Because depending on how you look at the future impacts your today and also impacts your past, right? How you sure. yearn for the past instead of looking forward to your future. Sure. Well, I uh, hope 30 years from now is going to be better. And I, you know, I'm a big proponent of leave the planet better than you found it when you came into it. And that's what I'm trying to do. And, you know, it, it you know, Every Monday morning when I lug the recycling down to the curb at five o'clock, you know, and I'm raza fraza mazaraza. And then I think, wait, no, you're, you're doing something proactive in a good way. You know, when I absolutely, you know, take off someone's head at the grocery store, because even though I've said three times, I don't want plastic bags, use the recycling ones. And they yeah. still reach for the plastic to put the meat in it because, my God, you cannot have meat not in a plastic bag. And I say, no, let it bleed all over the tomatoes. <laughs> You know, I tell myself I'm doing that for a reason. I can't control everyone else, but I can do my part, you know. And so I've tried to operate with this harm none mentality for the majority of my life. And I think that that, you know, is a very wise um, thing to attempt for anyone. And I'm going to try to go out on that note. Yeah. And, you know, this is actually, I have some questions, you know, that I jotted, but this is just off, off as you're speaking about this in space travel. As a science, a sci-fi writer, uh, are you so excited by talks of things like colonizing the moon, going to Mars? Like, I mean, are these things that like, are just, you're saying to yourself, this was sci-fi when I was a kid. And now all of a sudden we're doing things. I just watched a video on a flying car uh, on the Good News Network. Highly recommend it for anybody listening. It's a wonderful news source. And this car drove down the runway, took off flew to the next airport, landed, and then the wings folded in, and then it drove into traffic. Oh, how funny. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I'm actually quite pissed off that there isn't a moon base now, because mm -hmm. I was expecting it back in 1975. You know, I, I wanted I wanted this that to be done by now. Um, <laughs> but absolutely. Are you kidding me? The moon is my second favorite planet. I don't care that it's a dwarf planet. I love the moon. I think it's beautiful. I can name all of the major craters on the face of the moon, you know, 40 years after watching Space 1999. The Mari Imbrium, you know, the Copernicus Depression, the Mari Orientalis, the Mari Noctum. I mean, I can go around the whole moon, you know. I mean, of course, I think that stuff is fantastic. What I want, and I, I really hope, and I, I just, I'm so disturbed by the sheer dumbing down of people who still think that this world is flat and that, oh. you know, that injections oh. against COVID-19 are full of tracking agents. You know, <laughs> I mean, as long as the, the you know, the antiviral uh, mechanism works and they want to track me, have at it, put cameras in my window. I don't care, you know, but it's that kind of mindset. I just really, I see us 
now needing to be bigger than we've ever been before, you know, and, and smarter than we've ever been before, because it really is going to determine whether wow. there is a future. And so, I, I mean, I, I remain hopeful and I hope it reflects that way in my writing and that, you know, that again, that those years down the road are, are wonderful and they're wonderful for everyone. So as you're saying this, it's making me, cause I'm trying to bring it, cause I, I actually really enjoy where we're headed, but I'll bring it back to books, bring it back to the okay. writing. But before I do that, I will say, uh, cause I have an ALEXA up here in my uh, office where I'm actually starting to sweat because I turned the fan off for the interview right now, <laughs> like up in the attic. So, um, but uh, as you know, people always see me, like, aren't you worried she's listening? And I say, I'm not that interesting. I go, if, if somebody <laughs> wants to listen to me doing book talk, all right. Uh, so, but yeah, anyway, so I'm curious, we've talked about science and that gets into Star Trek Voyager, which I want to cover because I know we don't have a lot of time screenwriting right i talked with tiffany d bartolo uh, a couple weeks ago also an experienced screenwriter and her story of how she got into screenwriting was pretty much kind of by accident in a way it was a mm -hmm. fascinating process of how she got into it how did you get into screenwriting i'm just curious and especially like star trek voyager um all right you yeah. ready to have your mind blown blow my all mind right. i want this all <laughs> right so in 1993 I had made, you know, quite a few, um, you know, sales to independent um, small press magazines. And I was, you know, really at one of those crossroads where I wanted to turn in the right direction and not wander off the path. So I took a writing retreat in uh, Halloween weekend, 1993, to um, a massive log cabin on Wentworth Mountain here in New Hampshire. And that weekend was either going to be the turning point or I'm like, that's it. I'm giving up. I'm not going to write anymore, which, of course, is stupid. That's assuming you have the um, you know, ability to make that decision and not that it has already been made for you. You know, you can't just shut something like that off. But I went up there that weekend and, you know, had a screaming match with my muse. And I said, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it properly. So. The TV show Sequest DSV had premiered that weekend, the same weekend at the retreat up here. And I set the VHS, it was VHS days to tape it. Came back from that weekend, a completely changed person, started instantly rearranging my life so that I would, writing would be the focus. It would be a literary life going forward. The Friday before I got into the car to go up to that retreat, the mailman delivered the mail. And normally we used to have what I call the midnight mail delivery. It would come at like five o'clock at night. Well, I was getting ready to leave and at 11 o'clock in the morning, the car was pulling down the driveway. There was the mailman. And in the mail, there were three pieces of mail. One, there was notification that I had won uh, the Small Press Writers and Artists Best New Writer of the Year Award, which is on the wall behind me. The second one was a request from a publisher to see my first book, Ghost Kisses. And so I, this end of that, as I came back, I sent him the book and he bought it. And the third piece was notification that it's one of the best acceptance letters I've ever received saying, we have tried to reject this story for a year and we can't reject it, so we're accepting it. I had totally spaced that the story went out and it, it ended up being my first national short story magazine sale to the drummer in 1993. 
So I come home from the weekend. I watch Sequest DSV. Instantly fall in love. Love the characters. Love the setting. Love the whole storyline. I got so excited. I thought, I want to write a Sequest DSV spec script. So I started reading every screenplay writing book I could lay my hands on. Yeah. Started reading, you know, scripts. You know, that you could buy scripts that day. So I bought, I, you know, movies that I knew. And then I ended up taking a, a workshop at Boston Film and Video Foundation. So that's the basis. Now, as I wrote and I sold more and I became more published, I was writing for um, the Sci-Fi Channel magazine. Ended up, you know, they're like, we would love to have an interview with Roxanne Dawson, but she's not giving interviews. Can you get it? And stupid, idiotic me, knowing nothing, naive, picks up the phone, called Jerry Taylor, who was the executive producer. Please and thank you go so far in this business. Her assistant, Sandra Senna, said, sure, we can set that up for you, Gregory. I got the interview. She was, she was pregnant at the time, was not giving interviews. She gave me my first science fiction interview. So... I was asked to interview Jerry Taylor, Kate Mulgrew. I, I interviewed everybody. And it got in my mind. I'm like, I really love this show. I love the cast. So I picked up the phone and I said, Sandra, would Jerry Taylor get me into the pitching pool at Voyager? She said, Jerry Taylor loves you. Absolutely, she would. Now, you probably can't see it, but there is right over my head in that silver frame next to the award I just spoke about. My letter of recommendation from Jerry Taylor from Star Trek Voyager on Voyager stationery. So I got into the pitching pool and I pitched and I pitched and I pitched. And finally, one day, it was the end of the day. I'm decompressing. I'm in the kitchen making dinner in my apartment and the phone rings. And it was Nick Sagan, Carl Sagan's son, whom I had pitched to on Star Trek Voyager. And he said, I have very good news. We're buying the story. Two weeks later, they bought the second one. All right, so I'm going to give you now how this weird story comes full circle to blow your mind. <laughs> so I was flying out to the set of Star Trek Voyager and leaving Boston in the middle of what was about to be the big nor'easter that was closing down all the airports. So they're trying to get all the planes in the air, this, that, and the other. Yeah. And I, you know, I, everything was so backed up. I finally got through the, you know, the line that was a thousand bodies deep. I race to the farthest gate to get on my plane. I sit down out of breath and I look and who is sitting next to me, my right hand up to whatever deity you want to insert. Who is sitting right next to me, but the actor John D'Aquino who played Benjamin Krieg on Sequest DSV. <laughs> I reached into my valise. I pulled out a business card. I said, Mr. D'Aquino, Gregory Norris, the Sci-Fi Channel and Star Trek Voyager. And I just have to tell you, I'm a huge fan of your work. We spent the entire five and a half hour flight to Los Angeles, gathered together, hunched over the seats, gabbing together. Um, we landed. He picked me up in his convertible two days later. We went tootling around the city. He pointed out all these great landmarks in the city. We went to dinner at the Roosevelt Cafe right near what used to be Grumman's Chinese Theater. And um, he's been a friend ever since. And so that's how the weird stuff comes full circle. And now just this past year, it was uh, last October, um, I sold my second option on a screenplay. I've, I've got two screenplays that have been optioned by a Hollywood production company. And I'm doing more of that. And it's difficult to do that here, but yeah. it's not impossible. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm creating inventory and I'm sending it out. And when it's appropriate, 
it will hopefully find a home like all of these other projects that I work on. You know, as you said all of that, just a whirlwind of store. I mean, just so much going on, but you know, some takeaways that I got is one, talent is important, of course. You're a talented writer. There's a lot of talented writers. But you know what a lot of talented writers don't do is they don't stay dedicated like you did. They don't hustle the way you did, uh, the way that you went to the cabin and you just forced yourself and you forced yourself. And you know what you did all along? You submitted and you submitted and you kept writing. And a couple other things, uh, you were friendly, right? You reached out, you didn't have any limit. You just said, sure, I'll get that interview. And then you talk to the people, you're friendly. You know how often I deal with um, authors and agents who aren't particularly friendly. Like you're oh, I can imagine. like, I would, I want to hang out. Like I would hang out. And most, a lot of times I come across people who are like, they may have a good book, but I actually don't really like them. You know, like they're just not nice or they're just kind of, you know, like they're like, they, like agents sometimes give off like a little bit of like a shark vibe and you're like, ah, you know? <laughs> so yeah. what, what's wonderful is that you're just, you're, you're kind and that comes through talented, dedicated. And then in the screenwriting portion for anybody listening or watching, you immersed yourself. You found the screenplays most similar to what you want to write. You saw how they did it. You took a class and you started doing it. Uh, it's just, I love it. And networking, of course. You sat on the plane and you didn't clam up. You pulled out your business card because, of course, you have a business card. I say that to so many writers. Where's your business card? And next mm -hmm. thing you know, you made a lifelong friend. I love well, you know, about that story. Well, I'm so glad. The thing is, though, is I love to write. And I have learned, you know, please and thank you go really far in this business. Nobody yes. ever, you know, hears that enough. Yes. Um, and I, you know, I've also, I mean, I've, I, it, it might be like this disconnect in my head, like me, maybe, you know, this stupid, stupid factor is that, you know, is I just don't, I don't, I don't answer no for somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't let them, I, I don't say no for them if, if I ask and they say no, then that's fine. And if I ask and they say yes, which is often the yeah. case, you know, wunderbar. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Why not? You know, I mean, yeah. when I send a story out in the mail and I hit the send button, yeah. I've had it in my mind from day one. Well, it's rejected. So what? Move on to the next one. Love it. And then I when they it. come back in, accept it. it. It's, you know, it's like, let's have cake and, you know, and dance around the house to the Xanadu soundtrack, you know? Mm -hmm you've got such a wonderful mindset as a, as just a person, but as a writer as well, taking you to that next step, at, you know, you, you're constantly writing. And again, not to, to, to overemphasize, but the kindness thing really is important guys. For anybody listening, whether you're an author, you're on the publishing sense, wherever you are, even if you're not in publishing, just a, as a person of this world, kindness goes a long way. Uh, oh, it does. When you get those emails from people and you get those calls, if somebody's coming at you angry, always say to yourself, try, I always try to teach this, go with a, a lens of compassion. Say, why is this person so angry? What happened in their life to make them in this moment, you know, not kind? Uh, and then try to just try to embrace more kindness. I think that's, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, one of the things, I have a, a tree that's being taken down and apart from the guilt of taking the tree. I've never killed a tree except at Christmas. Yeah. And we've always gotten those trees, you know, where they plant three supposedly for the one that you, you know, you've murdered. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so there's this massive tree that's right outside my office window. And I kind of don't want it visiting at three o'clock in the night, you know. 
so it's being taken down but so my tree guy who i really like you know is kind of behind on the the project and you know and i understand why because there are things that are going on in the background that have nothing to do with me or the tree and so the woman who cuts my hair all three strands of it you know was supposed to be here on friday and she had something happen and she's like i totally forgot it i'm so sorry can i come tomorrow and i'm like hey to them, to both of them, as I always, always remember my Lebanese grandmother, the kindest woman on the planet saying, Chada happens. And when it happens, you know, there's no reason to go to war over it. You just pivot and you do what you have to do. That's how I am. You know, uh, as long as I get up in the morning and I do my business and I get my pages in and, you know, the house is clean, the cat is fed and there, you know, there, there, there's nothing that's stopping me from you know living my dream which is to be a writer then i'm you know this other stuff isn't worth losing any sleep over it's just it's stuff it happens you know so last question that i kind of ask everybody lately anyway is uh three things one uh what are you watching like is it on what do you watch on netflix you don't use netflix what's your go-to tv show right now uh so let's start with that all right it's so pathetic i have the highest cable bill on the planet and what do i do i watch the same old tv show channel with the same old tv shows that i have watched six trillion times since i was a kid i have everything you know and apart from watching the red Sox, you know like i'm watching i'm watching me tv i'm watching saturday night my three stooges we have a date shemp howard has already already probably attempted to murder me maybe five or six times this year through laughter um, I'm watching the original Lost in Space. Ooh. Dr. Smith, the same thing, has tried to kill me. I laughed my ass off over that. Um, <laughs> I'm watching Kolchak, the Night Stalker. I'm watching Sven Gulli, which is the horror movie host who has all the old black and white monster movies. Um, you know, and apart from General Hospital, which I've watched since I was a teenager, you know, the stuff, it, it's all the same stuff. I, you know, I watch episodes of Space 1999, which I've seen a million times, and I, I hope to see them a million more before, you know, I exit this mortal coil. And then this morning, I went out, you know, really early um, just to grab a couple of things that we needed at the house. And at my local grocery store, the guy who helped me to the car, because you don't take your own groceries out, they send someone with you. I happened to look up, and I he was wearing a, a, an old-school Battlestar Galactica colonial warriors jacket i said so which battle star are you assigned to the galactica the olympia the columbia the pegasus the rikon the solaria the pacifica he about died he's like and i was wearing my space 1999 cloth mask at the time and he's like i love that one too you must be the writer that i read about all the time in the papers and so we ended up having this conversation and then i zipped home because i had my pages to get in and you know, and I lost track of time and I'm like, wait a minute, it's almost noon. So it, it's all this old stuff that I love. But to my credit, this summer, I got so hooked on, um, there was a, a limited show called Cruel Summer that Ooh. ran on Freeform. And uh, it was sort of like this murder mystery teen thing that took place back in the 90s. I could not wait for every brand new episode of that. I was on the edge of my seat. So... What's fascinating too, for a takeaway for anybody listening, is how eclectic Greg's viewing is. You've got everything from General Hospital to sci-fi. Like it's in that 
I I think in some ways feeds your imagination. You have oh, such a I read everything. Yes, yeah, I read everything. Don't limit. Yeah. I you read and I'll watch everything. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next one, coffee or tea? What are you? Love them both, but it's it's the coffee. It's the coffee. <laughs> All right. Since 1993, when right. I came back from the you know the mountain retreat, I have been drinking you know not coffee but coffee. And I'm not oh. even from, you know, I'm not even from, you know, the greater New York yeah. area, but I, I just, I love I, this morning. I've already had half a pot of hazelnut Yeah. with one yeah. fake sugar and lots of cream. I'm with you. I do. Uh, I, I mix it up. I like both. I was on a tea kick for a bit and uh, my body uh, screamed at me and then I'm back with the coffee. Well, <laughs> I got to tell you, there's something terrifying in my, my cabinet where the tea and the coffee is right now. So a couple of weekends ago, I had my dear celebrity friend guests came up uh, for a weekend writing retreat. Yeah. And one of them brought, are you ready for this? Yeah. Ginger probiotic tea. <laughs> and so every time I open the cabinet, she left it here for me. Every time I open the cabinet, I look at it and I think, there's Roxanne's diarrhea tea. Oh. But I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> I love tea. I love tea in the autumn. Earl Grey, all the way. All right. Last question. Uh, one piece of advice for anybody listening. Like, what do you want people to take away from this conversation? Like, what's something uh, that you want to linger in somebody's mind for the rest of their life? Is this like a writing-related question? Anything you want, but writing or anything. Anything at all. All right. So I'll, I'll go with the writing-related one because that, for me, is a really easy one um, to offer. Is I learned long ago on a July night when as a teenager, I put the words the end at the bottom of what would become at age 15, the first novel I've ever written. It's archived behind me in those filing cabinets. And my entire body came alive with the cosmic spark that first gave life to this universe. Mm -hmm. I felt every cell inside of me just ignite in a supernova. And it was, it was inspiration and I've never forgotten that. So the advice that I would give is if you're a writer or if you're anyone creative, don't believe in the block. The block to me is that there is actually something physical in the room stopping you from being creative, stopping you from fulfilling a dream, living a destiny, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I believe in the muse. I believe, you know, in the whether it's the nine muses of Greek mythology, all of whom's names I can recite on any good day. Um, my muse happens to be a guy, didn't come from Mount Helicon like the rest of them, but I would rather believe in the muse as opposed to the block. I think it's more um, proactive. I think it's healthier. Um, and that doesn't mean that if you're a writer or anyone creative, you don't have downtime. I call it a passion power outage. You just need to recharge the batteries. But I don't believe in the, the block. I believe in the muse. And I think that's a very... Um, good thing that I can impart because I've seen it, I've seen it pay incredible dividends that I never, ever mm -hmm. could have imagined way back when. So. Well, uh, I think that's excellent. And on that note, uh, thank you for being here today. And well, for thank you. Watching, uh, please check out uh, GregoryNorris.com, uh, pre-order his book, X Marks the Spot, and follow him uh, online. Like he is, uh, 
uh, just a wonderful writer and a wonderful person. And if you have any questions or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, then email me at david at woodhallpress.com. Uh, Greg, thank you again for being here. Thank you, David. And right back at you. You were pretty wonderful yourself. This was a delight as always. So keep right. creating and, uh, <laughs> you know, just, just live it to the end. All right. See you, Greg. Thank you. Bye-bye.